before we get going today, I have an announcement I'm going to make uh, coming up uh, starting September 25th. We're going to be starting a new series called Fearless. And it's going to be a six-week series, and the whole idea behind that is we all believe that God has a call, that he has a purpose and a plan inside of our lives, and we want to live that out. But what happens is oftentimes we find that we have fears that are keeping us from pursuing the things that God has called us to. And we know that that's not the way that we're supposed to be. We're born with two fears as babies. We come out of the mother's womb with a fear of loud noises. So uh, sorry if any babies were frightened here this morning. And then the other fear that we have is of falling. Every other fear that you have in your life, every fear of failure, every fear of spiders, every other fear that you have is something that you picked up along the way. And a lot of these fears keep you from living out the fullness of what God has for you. So we're going to spend six weeks going over different fears that we all deal with and how it is that God wants to set us free from those fears. And to go along with this series, we're going to have fearless groups going on. And what they're going to be is uh, different hosts are opening up their homes. And you'll come to church Sunday. You'll get to hear the teaching. If you miss it, you can always listen to it online at our website. And then we'll have booklets that you will get. And there will be a short 10, 12-minute DVD teaching that you will watch. It continues on what we talked about. And then you'll have the opportunity to have discussion inside of your group. Now, when you're here, I love it that you're all here today, but you have trouble asking questions. It's not, I can't just, I'm saying something, hey, wait, what do you mean by that? We can't just go through that because there's too many of you, but you do have the opportunity to do that inside of a group. You can ask questions. You can say, hey, this is the fear that I have. How is it that you think God wants to work in me of this? Or, or share your thoughts. You can be an encouragement to other people as they're struggling with things and as they're trying to overcome them through the power of Jesus. So as you walk out today, you can go to the fearless table. We have these cards, and on the back of them, it lists all the different groups and the times that they're at. We're meeting uh, once a week in the different homes for an hour and a half. So for six weeks, you go to someone's house, you make some new friends, uh, you develop some relationships. It's all good. I would highly encourage you. Everybody, go grab a card, check it out. You can go online to our website, radiantA2.com, and you can sign up for a fearless group there, see what's available. But as your pastor, I am asking you, uh, if you've never been a part of a group before, do it. And if you have been a part of a group before, you know how powerful community can be. And if you're in a group and you didn't really like it, well, here's a chance to get in a new group of people. So no matter what your situation is, go sign up for a group. We've got lots of them for you. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, grab one on the way out. We've got them for you at the information table. And we're beginning a new series today called Pray First. And hopefully you received one of these little notebooks as you came in. What I want you all to do is through the three weeks of we're going through this series, I want you to take notes in this because you're going to be able to use this as an aid for your prayer time at home. A lot of times we hear teaching, you're like, oh, that was really good, I'm going to do that. And then a day later, you have no idea what it was that the person said. So we want you to make notes in here. This can be your prayer journal. You can write things down inside of it. If nothing else, it looks kind of cool. So make sure you grab one and put it to good use. And we're beginning this series called Pray First, and uh, every year we do a teaching on prayer because I really believe that prayer is the fuel in the kingdom of God. Everything, that, everything the church does, everything the church rises and falls upon is directly dependent 
upon prayer. In fact, every great revival that we've ever seen has been birthed out of prayer. Jesus himself, before he began his miraculous ministry, spent 40 days fasting and praying in the desert. I'm not asking you to go out into the desert to be tempted by Satan for 40 days and not eat or drink, but you can see what happened when Jesus did that. He goes and then the Holy Spirit falls upon him and he begins a ministry that changed the course of humanity forever. And then even when you look at the early church, what happens after Jesus says, go out and make disciples of all the nations? And they're like, well, we can't do that. You know us, Jesus. Like, surely you jest. There's no way that the 12 of us can do this. But what happens is the 120 people who are closest to him, they gather together in the upper room. They're hiding because their lives are they're threatened. They're basically being cowards. They're not going out and making disciples. They're just trying to preserve their own lives. But they're waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit like Jesus told them to. And for 10 days, they pray and they fast together. And out of that time of prayer and fasting, we see then Pentecost occur, and in one day, 3,000 people become disciples of Jesus. And then they go on to have an incredibly miraculous and effective ministry. Even the Apostle Paul, he has this miraculous encounter with Jesus. He's called to be an apostle at that point, but he doesn't start functioning as an apostle at that point. As 17 years go by where he's being trained and he's serving in the local church in different places. And then it says that the church, they're praying and they're fasting. And in that time of prayer and fasting, God speaks to them and says, now set apart Paul and Barnabas for me to go out and to be apostles. The early church and all the churches that we see planted by Paul, you know, most of the New Testament, what we have, came out of a time of prayer and fasting. Then you even look into more modern times, the Moravians, who had an incredibly effective ministry. They were so committed to reaching the nations for Jesus that they would sell themselves into slavery. Think about that. While, while people are being captured and sold as slaves against their will, this group of Moravians in Europe are going and selling themselves to the slavers of their own volition so that they can go and they can minister to the slaves. They sacrificed everything so that they can make disciples. They bought one-way tickets. When they would go out, they would hold a funeral. You would have a public funeral that you got to attend before you went out because they knew that you were never coming back. That's how committed they were. And this is all birthed out of a 100-year prayer meeting that they had. For over 100 years, 24-7, Moravians were praying that God would fuel the advancement of the kingdom, that he would make disciples of all the nations, and that he would give them the means to be able to go out and to make disciples of Jesus. Out of a 100-year prayer meeting, that occurred. When we look at what happened, uh, even the United States of America, through Charles Finney, through John Wesley, even the Azusa Street Revival, it all came out of a time of prayer. It wasn't that people got together and they said, hey God, we're going to rent a tent and we're going to have all of these speakers come in. We got all these great systems and strategies and I'm all about that. But that wasn't because of the systems and the strategies and the plans that they made that revival came. It was always out of people who came before God on their knees crying out that God would do a mighty move inside of their generation. And that's why one of the core values of Radiant Church is that we are prayer-fueled. Yeah. Everything about Radiant Church is prayer-fueled. In fact, we were birthed out of prayer. When God uh, spoke to me and uh, spoke to Pastor Lee about me going to plant a church, before we even decided where it was that we were going to plant a church, we started having weekly prayer meetings. 
And we'd spend about two and a half, three hours every Tuesday night. We'd gather in a room together, and we'd, we'd worship together. We would pray together. And then when we, uh, the Lord called us to this city, then we started specifically praying for things. And so I said, God, you know, uh, bring breakthrough on University of Michigan campus. God, in the hospitals, would you come? Would you heal the sick? Would you minister to doctors and the patients there? God, would you go to Eastern? Would you go to uh, Concordia? Would you go to Washington? All the different places. And we were praying for the people here. We were praying, God, would you use us in some way as broken vessels filled with your glory so that in the city of Ann Arbor and in Ipsy and in Celine and Milan and Dexter and all the other areas that people would be able to come and have an encounter with the living God or radiant church that changes their lives forever. For one full year before we moved here, that's what we did. That was the only thing that we did. There was about five or seven of us that gathered every single Tuesday night to do this. And everything that we are seeing right now is because of the fact that we gathered and we prayed. And everything that's happening in Radiant Church right now, we're sustained by the prayers of the people that are here. If you guys think I'm preaching better, thank you for praying for me. If you think my preaching is terrible, pray for me, please. I'll be praying for Ford Early Learning Center and what it is that we're doing there. We were praying that God would open up doors for us in the schools because school after school that we went to just kept saying, no, we have no interest in a church being a part of anything that we're doing. And then God opened up a door for us of where we're doing things inside of that school that no other church has ever done. And when I tell other pastors about it or even other teachers, like, I can't believe that that's even happening. That's because people prayed. Everything, every miraculous healing that we've seen, every marriage that's been reconciled, every person who's made a decision to follow Jesus, that has all been because people gathered together and asked God to come and do the things that only God can do. And for us to move into the fullness of everything that God has called Radiant Church to be and everything that God has called Radiant Church to do is going to depend on if we're going to get on our knees before God and we're going to ask him, God, come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, pour your anointing presence out over this place. God, would you reach those who are far from you? Would you open the eyes of those who have been blinded to your truth? God, would you bring healing to the sick? Would you bring hope to those who are in despair? All of these things rely upon the power of prayer and going before our king and asking him to come and to do that. So what we're going to do is actually this year we're doing two teachings on prayer. Uh, We did one in January, and now we're doing one again. And why are we doing that? Because everything that we're going to do is going to happen if we as a church really grasp this. And we've made great uh, strides in the area of prayer as a church, but we still have a ways to go. And so I'll keep teaching on this as often as I have to. We might do it again and again and again, but we pray and we see God move. So we're just going to keep doing it. And the reason why uh, we don't pray a lot, I think, or the reason why so many times in, in our culture we struggle in the area of prayer is because we are so incredibly blessed. We have blessings that people 100 years ago couldn't have even dreamed about. I tell you what, when it was 90 degrees every day this summer and I had air conditioning, I was like, oh, thank you, God, that I'm a modern man. Thank you, I wasn't born to Amish parents. Thank you, I wasn't born in the 1700s. I mean, thank you for all of these incredible things that we have. We have luxury, we have health, we have wealth. You know, everybody's talking about the one percenters. Hey, we are the one percent. I mean, like we're comparing ourselves to the richest of the rich in the world. There are people, billions of people, who are living on less than $2 a day. And their daily existence is, I need to find food for my family. 
and I have to labor intensely to be able to just make it, just survive, to have clean water to even drink. But for us in the United States of America, our blessings are killing us. We're not going to starve to death. We're not going to die because we have poor water or work ourselves to death. You know why we're going to die? It's because we eat too much and we exercise too little. That's the greatest threat to our physical lives is that we have so much blessing that we're killing ourselves with it. And what happens, uh, you know, you know I'm supposed to eat right, I know I'm supposed to exercise, but you never do it. And then you go to the doctor one day and he's like, hey, you're killing yourself by how much you're eating. You need to eat right, you need to exercise. So a moment of crisis hits and then you decide you're going to make a change. But what if we had decided that from the beginning we were going to eat right and exercise, we would never have even reached this moment of crisis inside of our life. And even if you hit a moment of physical crisis, the fact that you're in shape is going to make it so that you're going to be able to go through this crisis much better. And it's the same way for prayer. What if we didn't wait for a crisis to hit us to begin to pray? Because that's what happens. We're so blessed, we don't need God for provision. We think we don't need God's protection. We don't need all these things because we just have that already because of the culture that we live in and all the blessings have been poured out on us. So what happens, we hit a moment of crisis where our marriage falls apart, we have a health issue, there's an issue with our kids or hopelessness or whatever it might be, but something happens and then as a last resort, like, okay, God, can you, can you come and do something? I've tried absolutely everything else in life and it's failed me. Now I'm going to pray. But what if we didn't pray as a last resort, but what if it was the first thing that we did? What if we as a people were trained to pray first? Because that's what I want us to be as Radiant Church. That's what God's calling us to be, as a people who pray first, not as our last resort. It's the natural instinct that we have. No matter what the situation is that we find ourselves in, the first thing that we do is pray. Now, I have taken advantage of the finest medical technology that is out there, and I'm very grateful for all of that. And I'm not saying only pray and don't use any other means to try to address the issues that you're in. But I tell you what, before that surgeon started cutting on me, I was praying first. (laughs) I was like, God, let this surgeon have the best day of their life. (laughs) Don't let them sneeze when they're cutting or anything. You know, I'm like, God, I'm praying first. I'm still going to get surgery, but I'm going to pray first. But I believe a lot of crises and tragedies in my life have been averted because I've always been coming and asking God to move on my behalf first and to seek him out. And for the difficulties that I have gone through in my life, the Lord has sustained me. I have not been crushed. I have not been destroyed. I've never lost hope because I always had that connection with my father that was only developed through prayer. And I knew that no matter what might happen, I knew that he was God. God and that he would preserve me and that his blessings were being poured out in my life. I never had to be afraid because I knew that God was always with me. And you only develop that kind of faith, confidence, and security in the place of prayer. I think we all want to pray. We all see the need to pray, but oftentimes we don't know how to pray. And the disciples had the same issue. And they go to Jesus. They see all the miraculous things that Jesus is doing. He's raising the dead, he's healing the sick, walking on water, all kinds of just incredible things. And they come to him and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. It says this in Luke 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now this is interesting because they all knew how to pray. Every Jewish kid grew up learning to pray. They had prayers and blessings for every different situation that you could imagine. But when Jesus prayed, it was different. 
When Jesus prayed, the miraculous followed. When Jesus prayed, there was a connection between him and the Heavenly Father that they didn't experience with the way that they were praying. And so they come to him and they say, Jesus, we want to know how to pray like you pray because we want to see the kind of ministry in our lives that we see in your life. And they recognize that this was directly connected to Jesus' prayer life. I would have asked him if I could walk on water. But they knew that the only reason he was able to do that stuff was because of his prayer. And so Jesus gave them a model for prayer. And he says this in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And he gives this model for all of us. And so this is one of the scriptures. Underline it in your Bible if you have it. Highlight it. Whatever you got to do, make a note to go home and do that if you don't have your Bible here. But it says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now what he did is, remember, he gave them a model. This isn't a magical incantation that we recite and then we see God answer our prayers. And that's the way it was for me. I grew up in a Methodist church and every, after the offering, we all had to stand up and we sang the doxology and then we said the Lord's Prayer and then we all sat back down and we were Methodists. So we, I mean, that was our method. We did that every single week, no matter what. If Jesus were to return in the middle of our service, hey Jesus, hold on one second. We got to finish this real quick. <laughs> And for me, I never understood that Jesus wasn't saying just recite this prayer all the time. He was saying this is a model for you. This is a pattern for the way that you are to pray. And he begins by telling them that the most important part of this, the way that you begin your prayer is by connecting with God relationally. That's what he's saying. The most important thing that happens when we pray is connecting with our Father. And prayer is the number one way that I grow in my relationship with God. It's the number one way that I encounter his presence, his goodness, his blessings inside of my life. The number one way I develop this relationship that you always hear Christians talking about that they have with Jesus is in my prayer time. Because the first thing that I do when I pray and the first thing Jesus tells us to do is to connect with God relationally. Now, many of us live as agnostics, even though we say, I believe that Jesus came and he's the forgiveness of my sins and I have new life inside of him, he's my Lord, but we live disconnected from him. Like he is a distant God, like he's unconcerned with us. We have no connection to him. But God says that he wants us to relate to him as our father. He's not a distant, removed God who's far from us. He's as close as a father. I know some people, you had bad father figures in your life, so that might bring up some hurt, or you might not have an understanding of that, but he is our perfect heavenly father. There is nothing but goodness inside of him. And our earthly fathers are supposed to model that to us, but they all fall short. And so what we need to do is be able to look past some of the examples that we had that might have been negative, and be able to look to God as the good father who loves his children perfectly. And what is the desire? And as he says, Jesus, start by saying, our heavenly father. That's how we address God. That's how we connect to him. That's how we relate to him. And what's the desire of every good father? When I look at my kids, I want the best for them. I want to provide them with nutritious meals. I want them to get lots of exercise. I want them to be healthy. I want them to be involved in sports. I want them to grow in their gifts and their talents and their abilities. I want them to be happy, joyful, well-provided-for, protected kids. 
but that's not my greatest desire for them. Those are all secondary to my desire to know them. My desire to express my love to them. For them to receive love from me. And for them to know me. For them to recognize my love that I'm showing them. And then for them in turn to express their love back to me. That's the greatest desire that I have. If my kids fail in every other area and if I fail to provide them with everything else in life, I can live with that. As long as the one thing that we have is that we love each other and they never once question the fact that they're loved by me, they tangibly receive demonstrations of my love and it's the same way that I know that they love me and I'm receiving from them. That's the greatest desire of every single father. And for you as children, if he's your father, it means that your identity, the way that you relate to him as a child relates to their father. And every child needs to spend time in the presence of their dad. You need his attention. You need his love inside of your life. Every kid needs that. And so if we want to be healthy, if we want to be good kids, we have to spend time with our father because if we don't, we end up being scarred, we end up being hurt, there ends up being bitterness and barriers that are there. It affects the whole way that we live our life in every other area of our life if we don't have the connectedness to our father and if we aren't spending time with him and receiving from him. That's the most important thing. But what happens with kids is right now my son's four and so he thinks I'm the coolest person in the entire world. He thinks I can beat up anybody. And I've never told him I could beat up anybody. So I don't know why kids just automatically assume their dad can beat up anyone else while they're trying to arrange fights. But he thinks I'm stronger than anyone. I'm better than anyone at everything else. I remember playing t-ball and I hit a ball off a tee and it went like 30 feet. He's like, whoa, you're like the greatest hitter in the whole world. (laughs) All right, yeah, sure. (laughs) But he loves me. But someday, he's going to get older. And I know that's going to happen because I got older. And then I stopped hanging out with my dad as much. My dad went from being my hero to like, oh gosh, i got to go hang out with my dad again. Oh, he doesn't understand. He's never been in love, you know. <laughs> he just doesn't get it. He's never felt like I feel. And then what happened was like my dad turned into the ATM machine. It was this, I stopped just spending time. I was like, Dad, I need this. Can I have some money? Dad, I need blah, blah, blah. And my relationship went from just spending time, enjoying him, growing with him, loving him, to I just treated him like the ATM machine. And all it was was a bunch of requests from him. But just asking your dad for something doesn't build your relationship. If the extent of your relationship with someone is this, you call them, hey, okay, I need this, this, this. If my wife and I, if that was our relationship, hey, Anna, uh, I need you to stop by the store. I need you to get this. I need you to get this, um, you know, and some eye drops too. All right, cool. All right, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And that was all we ever did. If I never enjoyed my wife, if we never laughed together, if we never took walks together, if we never drove and were just silent as we drove together, just enjoying each other's presence, I would be missing out on the best stuff in marriage. If you're a Christian, and you aren't enjoying time with God, if you aren't enjoying time in the presence of your Father, you're missing out on the greatest blessing that you can experience in this life. It's my greatest joy is connecting with God as my Father. But so many days of my life, I have missed out on that when it was always there and it was always available to me. We need to stir up our relationship with God. 
We need to stir up the passion and the intimacy that we have for him. We need to stir up the identity that we have. We need to stir up our recognition of the gifts and the blessings and the love that he pours out on us. And the only way that you can do that is by connecting with God as your father in prayer. And how do we do that? We worship him. This is is how I start out my prayer every single day of my life. I just worship him. And you find this example through the whole Bible. In the Old Testament, I love it. When they're going in to, to fight the battles, uh, what they do? They send the worship leaders out front. And it wasn't because they were the manliest men with the biggest swords and greatest fighting ability. It was because they were the ones that were connected to the Father. And here's what you'll discover. Sometimes when you're worshiping God, you'll never even get to the place of prayer where you start asking him for things because he gives you those things while you're worshiping him. You see that happen all the time. Because you know what? It says that God knows everything you have need of before you ever even ask of it. Amen. He knows what you need. He knows what you're going to ask for. There's times my kids, they don't have to ask me for things. I just see they have a need and I take care of it for them. I love doing that for them. Even look at, I love when uh, Paul's in prison, Paul and Silas. They've been unjustly in prison. They've been beaten. They've been flogged. They've had the bones in their feet broken so they can't walk anymore. And they're chained up in prison for preaching the gospel. Now, what would you be doing if that, you find yourself in that situation? Like, God, get me out of here. Lord, I know you might not have noticed, but things are going pretty bad for me right now. I'm supposed to be out there planting churches and preaching the gospel, but you must have taken your eye off the ball, and here I am. But you know what they do? It says about midnight, They're worshiping. They're singing worship songs to God. And in the middle of their worship, before they even ask God to to break them out of jail, there's an earthquake and their chains are broken and released. Their freedom came to them as they worshiped. We see that happen all the time, too. There was a suicidal man that came, and his plan was to go home and to kill himself. He said, God, I'm going to come to church one more time to give you the opportunity to reveal yourself to me. And he came to church, and in the middle of worship, God spoke to him as people were singing praises of God and declaring his might and his power. God revealed himself to this man, and right there, he made a decision to follow Jesus, and he saw that his life had value, it had meaning, it was worth living because of the love that his father had for him. He never ask God for that, but in the middle of worship, it's just what God did. I've talked to people that were dealing with incredible bondage inside of their lives, but as we sang the songs of the church, the family of God, God spoke to them and he brought them freedom. I've talked to people who were healed. They came to church, they weren't even asking for healing, but God knew that they had a need inside of them, and in the midst of raising their hands to God and declaring his goodness, healing came to them. We don't even have to ask a lot of times. We just need to spend our time connecting with God. And for me, when I pray, you might be thinking, how do people pray for two hours? That's insane. What do you think of to ask for for two hours? Well, don't ask for stuff for two hours. Worship God. Connect with your Father. Enjoy being in His presence. When you look, if I were to make a pie chart of how much time I spend asking God for things, it's like maybe a quarter or less of the time that I'm praying. It's mostly I'm just sitting there and I'm turning on my worship tunes and I'm singing and I'm just connecting with God and I'm blessing Him. Amen. And this is the way that you can do that. This is what we do. We worship His name. That's the second thing it says. It's hallowed be your name. It's saying, God, we worship your name. And if you want to know how to start worshiping God, you start by doing this. You start worshiping the names of God. 
He doesn't have just one name. There are many names for him all throughout the Bible. And we all have names. Our parents might have named us like Jeremy or Sean or Larry because they thought that sounded good. God's names all have meanings. They all reveal who he is at his essence, at his core. The character of him is all found in the different names that God has revealed that he has. And so write these down. I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to give you all the names. I'm just going to give you some of the names that I use a lot in my own prayer time. And the first one is it says that he is a God who is our righteousness. And this is the one I always start at. And when God revealed this name, what's happened is Israel has fallen, they've turned away from God, and the blessing of God for the nation of Israel was always directly connected to their obedience. When they were obedient, when they were righteous, then God's blessings flowed on them. But when they were sinful, when they were unrighteous, then they received the judgment of God. And so what God says is, through the prophet Jeremiah, he says that I'm going to send a righteous king. And he's going to be your righteousness. He says that his name is going to be, the God is my righteousness. And what that was looking forward to was King Jesus who came. And he was God, human flesh, gave up the glory of heaven to come and to live amongst us. He took on the sins of the entire world, went to the cross, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He took our unrighteousness from our sin upon himself and he gave us his righteousness. So now when we stand before God, we're able to receive the blessings of God because we are righteous. It's not directed about have we sinned in the past because every single one of us as we've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous. So Jesus came, God came to be our righteousness. And now I have relationship with the Father. I have eternal life. I have blessings inside of me because of the obedience of Jesus. So I start out in my prayer. I'm like, God, you are the God who is my righteousness. Thank you that you are my righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. And I just begin to worship him and praise him for that. Another name that he reveals, Jesus says that I am the God who is your sanctifier. Yeah. And another way to say that is he's the God who sets you apart. When the nation of Israel is coming out of Egypt, God says you're called to be a kingdom of priests. You're called to bless all the other nations. You are my own family. And they're sitting there thinking, we're a bunch of slaves from Egypt. We cannot live up to that call of God on our lives. And so God says, I am the God who sanctifies you. I am the God who sets you apart. You see, the call of God on every single one of us is more than we could ever fulfill. The heart that God wants to create inside of us is more than we could ever create because we're all still struggling with different sin issues inside of our lives. When we made a decision to follow Jesus, we weren't just instantly pure, never sinned again, never had a bad thought or did a bad thing. But what happened is God started to sanctify us. He started to change our hearts. He started to change our minds in the way that we think to make us pure, holy, righteous like him. And it's his work inside of us. God, thank you that you set us apart for your purposes. And God, I pray that you would continue to sanctify me. And I I bring up the different sin issues. I'm like, God, I thank you that you're doing this, that you're the one who can change me. He's the God who's our healer. It says in Isaiah that he was crushed for our iniquity and by his stripes we are healed. I see God bring miraculous healing to people all the time. Just last Sunday, I was praying for a man who's been dealing with tinnitus for years and years and years. And he came forward for prayer for that and prayed and instantly, miraculously, the ringing stopped. Amen. 
That's only God. He'd been seeking medical treatment. I'm all for doctors. I love doctors. I want more doctors here because I've needed them a lot lately. But I always know that God's the one who has the power to just one word he speaks, just one touch from God, and full and complete healing can come to us emotionally, physically, mentally, any other way. And we have the promise of full and complete healing. I'm dealing with the side effects of different things that have happened in my life, and I may deal with those every day of my life. But I know that in the kingdom of heaven, when it fully comes, when Jesus returns, there will be no sickness. We will all be perfect. That's the promise that everyone has, and it's only by the stripes that Jesus bore that we are able to receive that. It says that he is the banner of victory. I love this one. What happens is when you go to war in these old times, in the front row, there'd be someone that'd be carrying the banner that symbolizes the people you're fighting for. And that was to help draw your focus to it, It was to help bring you courage and hope to stir you up and remind you of who you're fighting for. And when the fighting got bad and you got separated, you looked back and you found that banner and you got back to your refuge. And that's who God is. He's the God who is our refuge. He is a God that we can run to in the worst of situations. He's our shepherd. You might not think that's that great of a thing. But shepherds, what do they do? They know their sheep intimately. They know everything about their sheep. They lead them, they guide them, they protect them, they're leading them. We don't know where God's taking us in life. I have no clue what's 10 years from now, but my shepherd does. And so in the times of when I say, God, I don't know where you're taking me, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I know that you are leading me so I can have confidence and faith in you because I know that you know me and I know that you're taking me into prosperous times. And even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear any evil because you're with me. It says that he's the God who is our peace. He revealed this in the story of Gideon when the nation's being uh, trampled and destroyed in every economically, uh, physically, every way possible that you can be destroyed. The nation of Israel is being destroyed. They have nothing but strife and turmoil. And God comes and delivers them and says, I am the God who is your peace. It says that he's the God, that the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds. It doesn't say we're never going to go through difficulties in life. But what it means is that in every difficulty you go through, you can have the peace of God that guards your heart and mind. So you don't have to be consumed by worry and doubt, but you can be filled with faith in the God who is your peace. It says that he is the God who is our provider. Write that one down. Everything you need is provided for you in Jesus Christ. And this comes from the story of Abraham. God called Abraham to sacrifice his son for him. And so Abraham goes up there and Isaac lays down on the altar. He raises the knife to sacrifice his son and God stops him and says, do not harm the child. And he provides a ram as a sacrifice for him. And see what this is an image of? Because Abraham says, you're the God who provides. This is showing us that there was going to come a day when God himself would provide the sacrifice that he didn't make Abraham offer. Because God would sacrifice his only son to provide for us the forgiveness of our sins and life everlasting. The God who sacrificed his son to provide for you, what won't he hold back from you? He's already made the greatest sacrifice to make the greatest provision we ever need. So you can have a confidence knowing that God is going to provide for you everything that you need. And then lastly, he's the God who is there. And I love this one. You think, there? His name is there? Yeah. 
Because that's a part of the essence and the nature of who he is. He's the God who is there. Yeah. He revealed this in Ezekiel 48. And what's happened is the city of Jerusalem has fallen into absolute ruins. It's destroyed. And they feel like God's abandoned us. And how can we ever rebuild this city? And God says, I'm going to rebuild Jerusalem. I'm going to bring life and beauty out of these ashes. It's going to be bigger and stronger than it ever was before. And the city is going to be called the God who is there. Because even when we're walking through the brokenness of our lives, we worship the God who is there. And he's able to rebuild. He's able to bring beauty and hope and joy and peace. We are never abandoned. We are never forsaken. He is always with us. He's there. And that is such an encouragement to me. Because sometimes I just need to know that God's there. And that's the very essence of who he is. He's there. What happens is when I worship God, when I just start going over his name, start worshiping his name, it stirs up faith inside of me. Because I'm thankful, first of all, my God, thank you for who you are. I'm thankful for all the things that you've done in my life. I'm thankful for the way that you've revealed yourself to me. And now I have faith built inside of me knowing that you're leading me. I have faith inside of me knowing that you hear me and you are going to answer my prayers. Because I know who you are, because I've connected with you relationally, I've built that relationship with you. I have a friend that just recently made a decision to follow Jesus just a few weeks ago. And I talk to him a lot now as I'm you know, mentoring him and discipling him through this. I've been praying for him for 20 years. And just came to a broken point in his life, made a decision to follow Jesus. And he, we were talking this week, and he said, Jeremy, this, this morning in my prayer time, I didn't even ask God for anything. I just made a list of all the things that I'm thankful for, even though he's lost his job, his marriage, his dog. It's like a country song. It's as depressing as it gets. He's at a broken point in his life. But instead of going and just asking God for all of these things, he spent a morning, it was like a half hour, and I just thanked God. I just connected with him. He said, I felt more peace than I've ever felt before. And I felt more joy returning to me because he connected with his father. And so this is a challenge I'm issuing to you this week. There's three things I want you to do every day. We have this journal for you now. You've been taking notes. I encourage you, what I want you to do is I want you to pray first every single day. That first 15, 20 minutes of your day, just spend that time connecting with God. Throw on some worship tunes. If you don't own any worship albums, you can always you know, throw open Pandora and, and you know, search for like Hillsong or Bethel worship or Elevation worship, whatever. Just type in worship and it'll pull up songs for you. And you can just begin to worship and to sing and meditate on God's goodness, who he is. Begin to thank him for who he is. Begin to connect with him as your father and begin to just worship his name. Go over the list that you just wrote down of the different names of God. Begin to thank him for that. Begin to declare that he is these things in your life. And just for 15, 20 minutes, just bless God. Connect with him. I guarantee you, if you do this for one week every morning, you will be closer to God than you were when you started. I can promise you that. And that relationship with God is going to be stirred up inside of you. And you get to the point of where 15, 20 minutes turns into a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour. You're late for work now. You're losing your job. Good thing God's our provider. 
but you'll get to the point of where it's hard for you to leave that place of intimacy with God. Isn't that the place that you want to be at where prayer is a delight to you or it's a joy or it's an honor and a privilege that you're like, I cannot believe that I get to do this every day. And if you do it the first thing in your day, I know it's hard to wake up early, but the first thing you do in your day frames the way the rest of your day is going to go. When you wake up and you stub your toe and you get a bad text or email and that's the first thing you do when you wake up, it makes a bad day. But when you start out your day by connecting with your father and experiencing his love for you and declaring your love for him, that creates some good days regardless of what it is that might happen to you in it. So connect with him that first part of your day and spend time just worshiping him. Even if you don't get to the point where you start asking him for stuff, that's okay. First thing you do is you make sure that you connect with God. Start that day off right, engaging with your heavenly father who loves you so much. I ask you guys to stand with me this morning as we pray. Father, we're so grateful that you speak to us. You said that uh, you're our shepherd, that we're your sheep, and you said that your sheep hear your voice. So this morning we ask, would you speak to us? Probably for some of you that are here this morning. The God who was there spoke to you. And you've needed to know that God is there with you. You felt alone. Maybe you felt abandoned. You felt like your life was in ruins and you just need the presence of God in your life. You need to know that he's with you. This morning he is here. He's the God who's there. Not just in this room. Everywhere you go. He's the God who's there with you. Even while your life is in ruins, you might not even know that he's there. He is there. And he's here this morning to be your strength. He's here to be your peace. He's here to bring restoration inside of your life. And all it takes is you turning to him and saying, God, I want what you have for me. Maybe you've never even made a decision to follow Jesus. You've hoped that there was a God who loved you. You'd hoped that there was a way to have relationship with him. This is the way you start that relationship and the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now, drawing you, putting that desire inside of your heart. And you just begin saying, God, I recognize my sinfulness. I recognize my fallenness and my need for you as my Savior. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And Jesus, this morning I make you the Lord of my life. And I'm going to follow you every day of my life. Would you begin to be my sanctification now? Begin to change my heart and my mind to be like you. Do a new work inside of me. God, would you be my peace now in the turmoil in my life? God, would you be the God who is there? The one who's going to build my life 